0: Good morning, Sanctuary. I can't tell you how excited I am to be a part of this community, and it's only been a few months that we've been attending. But I tell you, I've been waiting over 40 years to see a ministry with this kind of a demographic that really reflects the body of Christ for the glory of God yeah we've been we've been I'm, since I, since it's the second service, I may have a couple extra minutes on the end, so let me <laughs> it 's not such a tight schedule here, but let me just tell you, I wanted to share just a little bit with you about you know we 've been coming my wife and I have been coming here for four months, three months i don 't know something like that, but it 's not. Our first exposure to Sanctuary Covenant Church. We've been, I've been following. We've been following what's going on here, at Sanctuary, for since the, since the beginning. As a matter of fact, um, it, it was 25 years ago uh, when I was pastoring a small church in South Minneapolis, and it became evident that it was time for me to make a transition from pastoring that church in South Minneapolis. Moving to a full-time position at North at Northwestern, University of Northwestern. And there was a young guy uh, from South Minneapolis, and I'd met him in some of the other ministries that was involved in the South Minneapolis. And I talked to him, I said, Maybe, maybe you could come and you know think about taking over this church that I've been pastoring for about a year. You know, and he said, Well, maybe, you know, but he wasn't really he wasn't really interested. He was later on he decided to start another church. His name was Ephraim Smith. Then 30 maybe 32 years ago uh when I was doing church planning outside of Philadelphia a little area close to Valley Forge uh, Pennsylvania and uh I was I was uh I was my ordination was being switched over to the evangelical free church and I was involved with a, a number of guys there were five of us uh men of color who were pastoring and planting church in the eastern district of the free church. And there was 11 in the entire country, all across the country. We were the first wave to come into the evangelical free church. And a number of the guys were Trinity grads, you know, Trinity Seminary down in Chicago. And one of the guys who we became good friends with, used to hang out with way back in 1988, 89, well, his name was Dennis Edwards. So I've been knowing... I' been aware, and when I heard Dennis was coming to come to the city and was candidating at uh, a Sanctuary, it was pretty exciting. And we we've, we've kept in touch all along when he was in DC, and you know we got together. And when he was over the years um, working to see this building go up and working to see this church uh, get established, he and I would talk periodically. He he was saying that he he needed the fellowship of maybe somebody who was outside the community just so he can, you know, kind of, pastoring is a tough job. Last week, Tara, is that how i was saying? Tara, 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 made a comment. She said, what kind of church is sanctuary? And she began, began to, again, reiterate the idea that sanctuary covenant church is, located on this corner, ministering to North Minneapolis. We want to see a, a, a vital, a powerful ministry to the city here in North Minneapolis. And, and, I'm, and let me tell you, I am down with that, with that mission. I'm down with that. But, but, I, but I want to, through the text that we're going to look at today, I want to consider our expanding even that, that mission of what... God is doing. I believe that Sanctuary Covenant Church is the point of one of the spears that, that is leading the body of Christ, the universal Christian community, into this next age, into this next this next age when when, when the new Adam, the new humanity that God is established, establishing on Earth, and he's going to and he's going to put this new humanity in what, what we call, what has been called the city of God. The city of God that a number of church leaders throughout the history of the, of the church have talked about. The city of God. Yes, we're here in North Minneapolis, and we want to see this city influenced by the gospel. But even bigger is this, this vision of a, of a global just community a global community that God is in the process of establishing and 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 there needs to be there needs to be churches like this with this time kind of demographic that demonstrates to a world that desperately needs to hear that the gospel is this powerful that it can overcome some of the barriers whether they're racial and ethnic or social or or economic or national or or racial for the, for, the, for the purpose of glorifying him. And, that's, and that's, what, that's what I think sanctuary is. I don't know if you guys understand. You're unique. I, I've, I've spoken in churches all over the country, and I've spoken in churches that say, we, we have a multicultural ministry. And I go there, and, I, and it's like a 1,000 people in the church. And, uh, and then the, the pastor in the back of the church. He says, yeah, we had a couple of families. Well, they're not here this morning. But, you know, we, we had a couple of families of color that came. You know, we integrated, you know. Like, oh, no, that ain't it. That's not it. That's not it. I, am, I don't know what the demographic is here. I've heard a lot of numbers, 40-40, 40% white, 40% black, 20% other flavors. Uh, I've heard... 52%, 48%. I, I don't know what it is. I, I'd really like to know sometime if anybody can f- figure out what that demographic is. But we need, to, we need to understand that sanctuary is bringing new wine. We This is a vessel for new wine. But, okay, so what I want to do is I'm going to show you from the text part of what that vision is all about. And the title for, our, for my message this morning is the gospel promises to Abraham. You guys know that God, 2500, well, 2500 B.C., which is 4,500 years ago, shared the gospel to Abraham? You know, maybe another title for the message might be the gospel according to Abraham. But we need to understand the gospel promises to Abraham, and there's two promises that, we, that I can see in the text as I unpack it and lay it out. One, the gospel promises a formula for how to be justified. And secondly, the gospel promises to establish a just society. And that's, and that's where we come in, a just society where justice and social justice reigns. Let me read the text, and then we'll open it up and begin to try to get an understanding of what God is saying. So in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, God said to Abraham, uh, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And here's the key part of of this verse. This is where we see the gospel. He says, in you, Abraham. And he's talking about a particular person. In your lineage. there's, There's a seed, there's a person. In you, Abraham. All the families, all the nations, all the gonim, is the Hebrew word, of the earth will be, shall be blessed. Let's pray before we take, in, dive into this text. Father, I just ask you to help me to make it clear what this text is saying. Help the folks sitting here listening and interacting with the ideas that I'm sharing, be able to see your vision that you've given to Abraham and that you're passing on to us for this, this blended community, not just blended with Jews and Gentiles, but blended with all kinds of Gentiles within the context of the, of the body, this blended community that you're establishing. Lord, we just, we just ask you to make it clear as we unpack these verses of Scripture and we give you praise for the fruit that you'll bring as a result in Jesus name amen okay the first thing I want to do is I want to set the kind of the, the, set up the setting uh, the timing the setup within which God revealed the gospel to Abraham there's, there's important things that we need to see and understand before we, we before we dive into that and the first thing we need to see is that um, is what, what I'm calling it, a mandate. God gave, God gave Abraham, or God gave Adam a mandate. After he, after he created, after the six creation periods, it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God who created him, and male and female created them. And then he gave him a mandate. He gave him a, a task. And this is something that is really important for us to understand because this is still in play. This task is still in play now. It's not just he gave it to Abraham and then the New Testament happened and everything in the Old Testament got passed away and we started over again. No, it's one continual story that starts in Genesis chapter 1 and ends in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. You know, it's like it's really important that we understand, we understand what's going on in, in the bookends. The first chapter, you know, you ever, some of you probably do this when you read a book. Read the first chapter to find out what the kind of what's where's this thing going. And then, you, then you just can't help it. You gotta run, jump to the end of the book, and read the last chapter because you want to know what happens at the end. You know? Well, but see, here's the thing. You can't understand what's going on in the middle unless you understand the first chapter. You understand the task, the problem that's being played, and the way the thing resolves at the end. And if you don't start with understanding the beginning and the end, that all the stuff that's going on in the middle gets all, gets all kind of, it's like we don't really know what's going on. It's really hard to understand what the storyline is. So let's start at the beginning, the creation, the mandate. So he said, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he says. So certain parts of that mandate that he's given to us, and most of it, some of it is pretty clear to us. We understand what he's saying: fill the earth, procreate, you have lots of children, lots of people made in the image of God that are spilling out and taking the boundaries of the garden and spreading the glory of God throughout the entire earth, filled with the image of God. This is happening before the fall. But the other thing that he says, and this is a part that most of us kind of skip over because it doesn't seem to be that significant, but it's extremely significant. He says, subdue it. Fill the earth, but subdue it. What does it mean to subdue the earth? So if you go to a, a, a dictionary, just look up the word subdue, you would find that it's, it means to control it. But Even more than that, it means to make it serve you. Now, think about that. God uh, said to Adam and Eve, you know, you put them in this garden, which was a microcosm of the cosmos uh, that God was, was dwelling in, and he invited Adam and Eve into that space with him to manage the cosmos. And he says, I want you to subdue it, to make it serve you. What was he saying? At the end, like at the end of the at, at the end of the day, what he was saying is, I want you to, to manipulate the earth so that you actually establish a civil society, a global civil society that would spread across the entire earth. A civilization, a, a, a civil society. In other words, when Adam and Eve were first in the garden. They they were naked, they had no tools, they had nothing, they had their intellect, and all the resources were there. And so they reached into those resources and they and they developed some tools. Then eventually they developed some technology, and eventually they, they developed cities, and eventually they developed computers, you know, technology. And eventually so so Adam and Eve actually used the earth, made the earth serve them, and we established these societies, these civil societies that filled the entire earth. The problem is those civil societies that, that Adam and Eve and humanity has established at this point are civil societies that, were, that are designed to glorify man. They're make, we're making kingdoms unto ourselves. And the ideologues of those kingdoms can't help fighting against each other. And even, well, even in Washington, they can't figure out what to do. So the first thing that we see is that God gave a mandate. In in, in anthropology and sociology books, in some theology books, they call it the cultural mandate. The second thing that happened is is what we call the fall. In other words, Adam fell into sin. He disobeyed what God told him uh, to to not. He told him not to eat the fruit uh, in the middle of the garden, and uh, there was forbidden fruit, and Adam couldn't help it. Some people try to blame Eve, but that really wasn't her fault. Adam was looking at that fruit; he wanted that fruit, and she put it up in front of him, and he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna." Anyway, the fall, the fall happened, and and the next thing that happened is that this is that they were rejected from the garden, right? Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. There was an angel put at the gate or whatever, you know, in front of the tree of life with the swords going like this so they didn't have access to the tree of life. And then, it, and then finally, God got so upset with the entire setup that he pushed the reset button and he's going to start the thing over. And he wiped all of humanity, all of the, off the face of the earth, except for, 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 for Noah, his three sons, and their eight wives. And he started over. And so um, it, it says in, in, in chapter 6, verse 5, before, before the, he reset, that every intention of man's heart was evil. So God reset the whole thing. And then when these new eight people, they, you know, when they got off the boat, they, they, um, the, the mandate was reestablished, restated. In uh, in Genesis chapter nine, you take a look at it. You can see mandates reestablished, and then they begin to develop into a larger group and larger group. But they still were apostate against God, and they come to the Tower of Babel. And the ultimate, the ultimate illustrate, the ultimate symbol of what the Tower of Babel is: what rebellion against God. And they came to this tower, this, and they came to this plain, and they wanted to build a city that would give them a thought, um, make a name for themselves. That's what the scripture says. They make a name for themselves. And they built this cigarette tower into the heavens. And they wanted to get right up in God's face and be rebellious against him and say, we don't want to be spread over the face of the whole world. We want to build a society for ourselves. And God intervened and imputed language and they spread across, the, 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 uh, they left the tower and they moved to different parts of the earth. And what, we, and what it tells us in chapter 10, which actually comes chronologically after 11, is that the nations, ethnic groups, national groups, language groups, all based on language was established all over the earth. And yet, they were still in apostasy, they were still in rebellion against God at the Tower of Babel. And the interesting thing is, at the the second half of Genesis chapter 11, the first half tells us the events that took place at the tower. The second half of chapter 11 is a genealogy leading to Abraham. Abraham was very aware of the rebellion, the apostasy, and the sin that humanity was caught up in. In the second half of the chapter, and the last couple of verses in chapter 11, it says, it, Stephen tells us in Acts 7 that God appeared to Abraham, and Abraham and his father and his nephew and their family obeyed God, left Ur of the Chaldees, left Mesopotamia, and headed towards Canaan. And eventually, when, uh, after his father died, uh, they, they end up... Um, uh, in Canaan, or they end up in was it Terra, and um, and God says to him in the verses that we read, chapter twelve, verse one through three, go to your father's house, go from your father's house, head to a land that I will that I will um, um, that I will give to you. Now, so 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 the gospel promise came to Abraham, a formula for how to be justified in this context of abraham understanding sin you understand we understood what the problem was and so god came to him and he shared with him these promises that we read about in uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 now before we before i go on let me just let me just define for us just for a second justice and social justice so you know the second point here is that the gospel promises to establish a just society. What is, what is justice? What's, the social, what's justice and the social justice? Well, justice is, you know, if we, if we go, to chap, go back to Genesis chapter 1, the first five days, creation days, at the end of each of those creation days, God said, and it was good. At the end of the sixth day, after all the, everything that he was going to create was finished, he said, it was very good. And so God, in a sense, sits back on his throne, and he rested, and he looked at everything he'd done, kind of folded his arms, and he said, yeah, that's exactly how I wanted it. Everything is in conformity to his will, and everything in all of creation was consistent with his character. That's what justice is. That's what justice is. It's that being consistent with the will of God and the character of God. Now, what about social justice? The end of chapter 2, after, God, after there's more detail, given you know, Adam putting in the garden by himself, and then Eve, you know, he can't be alone. He, he needs to help her suitable. Someone who would come, who, who, someone who was equal to him, <clears throat> That he would take out of his side, who was equal to him, who would take up the task of the mandate, managing creation for God's glory. At the end of chapter two, and it's interesting because if you if you if you look at it, I think I think I have it on the. Do I have it on the slide? Yeah, uh, chapter uh, yeah Genesis. Um. No, I don't have it on the slide. I just have to read it. Um verse 23 and said then it says, Man said, This is at last this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. So she was taken out, she was taken out of man. And you know, it's interesting because before that Adam was naming all the animals. He was looking for the helper suitable. You know, and, and every time he brought one of the animals, he said, No, that, that's not it. You know, that's not it. And then finally God put him to sleep and pulled out of his rib Eve, who was who was like him. And when, when Adam, look, it's, it's interesting, because the language actually would kind of record this. Adam looked at Eve and said, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's it. Don't matter, the rest of them, that's, that's. But, but he goes on and he says, therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and, be, and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, the interesting thing about this is that this is still Genesis chapter one. It's just there's only two people on the entire earth, you know, but the way that Moses wrote this, he wrote it to to think about it from the context of community. well, Adam you know left his father and mother, eve left her father and mother there's there's community in his in, in, in Moses' thinking, and so these two came together, and it says in verse twenty five and the man and his wife were both naked. And, and it's not, the, word, the Hebrew word is not referring to they didn't have any clothes on, which they didn't, but that's not what it was referring to. What it's referring to is that they were totally vulnerable before each other. That's what the Hebrew word, if you took that word and go to a Hebrew lexicon, that's what it's gonna tell you. They were totally transparent. They were totally vulnerable before each other. They knew everything that there was to know about each other. And there was no shame. It was, it was totally honorable. It was, there was not... And the, word, the, word, the way the word shame is, is put in the text, they weren't shaming each other, and there was not reflective shame. They were shaming themselves. There was total harmony. In other words... Every aspect, and he put it in the context of a community, every aspect, uh, economic, social, uh, political, every aspect of human interaction was totally consistent with the will and the character of God. That's what social justice is. See, the mainline evangelicals have looked at some of the things that's taking place and, and selling itself as social justice coming from a secular point of view. And the reality is, some of these folks, they can see the injustice, they just can't think about it through a biblical lens. And they really can't bring solution to it. But they do see it. Just because a person's not a believer doesn't mean they can't see social injustices going on. The problem is, how are you going to address it? And we have the truth. We are the ones that need to be setting the agenda. Not saying, like, like, one, one fame. There's an article. There's an article that I keep on my desk. It's kind of on the top of my desk, on top of the pile, one of the piles. One of the piles, uh, by a, by a very highly known um, evangelical leader. And 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 the, and the cap. The, the title at the top of the article is, "Social Justice is Heresy." <laughs> and it's going to lead to disaster. You know, from my point of view, as I look at what the scripture is saying, it's Saying that social justice is is the heresy, and it is leading to social disaster within the context of not only the Christian community, but the social civil society as well. Anyway, the first promise is, the gospel promise is, he promised a formula for how to be justified. So before the fall, to be justified means to be conformed to the will and the character of God. After the fall, to be justified means to be reestablished and to conformity to the will and the character of God. Because God's character was offended when Adam took of the forbidden fruit. His character was offended. And, and social justice was introduced into civil society when Adam shamed Eve by blame-shifting the problem onto her. See, that's where social justice... Social injustice, enters into the community. So when God called Abraham, um, you know he, he he understood sin, he understood what um, he understood um, justice and social justice, and he and he it was in the context of this Tower of Babel. His family, his family, his lineage could be traced back to the tower, and. Um, so when God called Abraham, he also gave him the gospel. And we looked at Genesis chapter, Genesis, or Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, but I want you to also compare Genesis or Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Can you get that slide up there? The comparison of the two. Now I can't read that. So I'm going to turn, I'm going to look at it up here, because that's way too small. All right. So the, first, the top slide is Genesis chapter 12. When, that, given to Abraham, 2500 B.C. Old, you know, Old Testament, one of the, the fathers of, of before, the, before the nation of Israel was even established. The second slide is written by Paul in the first century in one of the epistles. Now notice what it says. Up the first slide says, I'll bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now look what Paul says about that. Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached, what? The gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, quoting Genesis twelve three, in you, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God showed Abraham the gospel all the way back in 2500 B.C. Abraham understood sin. and He understood that there needs to be a blood sacrifice. Now, let's take a look at, let's take, go back to Genesis chapter 12, and let's, let's take a, a look at what's going on there. So after um, he gives them the promise, uh, we're looking at verses 6 through 8 in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 6 through 8, okay. Um, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the, to the, to the oak of Morah, and at that time the, Gent- the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, "To your offspring, I will give this land. I don't even have time to develop what, what's going on there, because also Paul in Galatians chapter three quotes that verse, and he's saying, "The offspring is not offspring's plural." but offspring singular, and he says in Galatians chapter 3 that this is a reference to Christ, to the Messiah. He says it right there. You can argue with Paul if you want. It's right there in the text. Then, um, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched a tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham built these altars. He understood sin. He built these altars where blood sacrifices were made. Abraham understood the the need for a blood sacrifice to be justified. And so we see um, Abraham's um, and then later on, we see the theology of this whole thing of of uh, atonement and justification developed through the Mosaic Law, and then later through the epistles and the writings of the New Testament, where Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice, and his death on the cross uh, expunges the offense of, Abraham, of Adam's sin and our sins, and reestablishes us justified with God. And of course, um, then we have the work of the Holy Spirit for the, for the rest of our lives, working with us to help us to maintain a lifestyle that will be pleasing to God and to deal with our sins. And of course, you know, I became I became justified in July, 1973, and uh, and for, and ever since the forty however many years that is, God has been working with me. And every now and then, like two or three times a year, you know, I sin a little, a little tiny little sin. And, uh, and I know that you guys probably do that too, but the Holy Spirit is there to help us work with that, you know? Uh, so so the, first, the first thing we see in terms of the promise is that the gospel promises a formula for how, to be say, for how to be justified. The second promise from the gospel is the gospel promises to actually establish a just society on the earth. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the city of God. And there are a lot of, lot of uh, hit, uh, heroes throughout the church history who, who understood, who pointed to the city of God. One of them was Augustine. In 425, when the Visigoths came and destroyed and it sacked Rome, and Christians were blamed for the sacking of Rome by the Visigoths, Augustine wrote the city of God, where he said, no, 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 there's a, there's, Rome is not the city of God. Rome is not the permanent city that cannot, be, that cannot fall, but there is a city that God is going to build. Luther, in the 16th century, writes about the city of God. He talks about the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Calvin understood in the 16th century as well, a city of God. As a matter of fact, in Geneva, he tried to actually build the brick and mortar city of God. But the one who, that I think most represents what I think about when I look at this idea of the city of God, and I think what, 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 what the, the Scriptures are trying to help us understand when we talk about the city of God is Martin Luther King, where he talks about the beloved community. And he actually uses the words global society of faith followers— where racism and sexism and anti-Semitism and all those sins are eliminated, where God's will and God's character reign—that's the city of God. And for all of them, the city of God is now. Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Martin Luther King—it wasn't like well, that's in some other you know kind of orb, you know, on the other side of no. They're all pointing to a city of God that God is trying to establish, that God is establishing now. Abraham saw the city of God. Take a look at Hebrews. I'm going to try to move a little bit faster here, because I know that you guys want to get back to uh, and watch um, watch the golf match with the uh, Sea of Tigers going to win another one maybe I'm the one that wants to watch that <laughs> is he going to win his 83rd or whatever it is he's just amazing anyway uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 uh 8 9 and 8 9 and 10 I guess it is look at this this is this is like this is freaky by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Because, for, he was looking forward to the city that God has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham's one, over 100-year faith journey was motivated by a vision of what God is doing to establish the city, a civil society, a just society uh, where God's honor is going to be uh, uplifted. And lastly, we see in Galatians chapter 4 that Paul also saw the city. Paul was also, so I believe that all of Paul's teaching, so we say, wait a minute, social justice isn't something that we we should really be concerned about. The only thing we should be concerned about is getting saved and going to heaven. No. no. All of Paul's teaching is directing us toward living in in a just society, a society where God's honor is uplifted, where everything that we do reflects the character of God. That's what Paul's teaching about. A just society, the city of God. And when we can put together a community that can that can rise above the racial barriers, rise above the ethnic and national and language barriers, and, and offer the light, a city on a hill, like Jesus talked about, that whose light goes out to all the world. That I think is what God is calling. Sanctuary to be the city of God. There's a couple things I can say in terms of application, but I think we understand. Sanctuary is rare. I don't know what the demographics are, but the classic um, multicultural church in the literature says that it has to be a church that, eight, that one ethnic group does not represent 80% of the congregation. I don't, I don't think that's where we're at. I think we have much, a much more diverse congregation than that. But we've got to get beyond just integration. You know, so there's work that we have to do. And, I, and I'm, not saying because I, I'm not saying this because I'm aware of any issues that are taking place in the church. I haven't been here long enough to even be aware of those kind of things. But I can't imagine that we don't have work to do. For us to be truly, truly um, a true um, reconciled community a true reconciled community where, where we, we blend together almost as one new man. That's what, that's what this new community is all about. The new Adam. One new man. Not just integrated, oper- operating within the same space, but that but that, that our, our thinking, that our emotions, all these things are operating in such a way that God is, is glorified. So, you know, Paul's major ministry was the inclusion of the nations. So, um, the city of God needs to have all the flavors. All the flavors living together in total harmony. Even beyond harmony. You know, so that's, that's where we're going. And that's where I think sanctuary uh, um, is able to illustrate to a world. So let's pray. And uh, go home. Father, we just praise you for what you've already done here in this church. We praise you that the vision is out there that not only do we are we a ministry that's that's gonna to reach to the North Minneapolis community, but that we can be a, a example to a watching world. An example of what the city of God is really supposed to be, the kingdom is really supposed to be. Lord help us to be able to really work that out in detail. Help us to, to, to work on our humility. Help help us to work on dealing with the um, the different issues that cause us to struggle with each other's culture and ethnicity and race and those kind of things so that we can be a community that would ultimately glorify you in everything that we do. One who's consistent with your character and will give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.